Hello, wonderful listeners, and welcome to the Longevity and Lifestyle podcast, where I invite pioneers and thought leaders in all things longevity and lifestyle to give us the strategies, tools, and practices to live better and help us reach our highest potential. Today's guest is Isabella Channing. Isabella is a childhood friend of mine and the founder of The Shack Yoga, based in beautiful Jose Ignacio in Uruguay. At The Shack Yoga, Isabella has created a welcoming space for people from all over the world to practice yoga, self-healing, and growth by empowering their senses of internal control. The Shack Yoga is a wellness refuge offering a variety of yoga, movement, and massage therapies designed to address stress and trauma and cultivate a balance of energies that promotes health and longevity. In this episode, we talk about her experience growing up between two cultures, the revelation that awakened her passion for yoga, the winding road to starting the Shack Yoga, the healing effects of yoga, and what you can do to promote a healthier and more positive lifestyle, and much more. Please enjoy. Good afternoon to you, Isabella, in beautiful Jose Ignacio in Uruguay. It's such a pleasure and honor to welcome you on the Longevity and Lifestyle podcast. We had a conversation the other day on a nostalgic note that we actually knew each other since we were in kindergarten together at school in New York City, actually making you one of my oldest and dearest friends. So I'm so delighted, particularly to connect on our new venture with this podcast. So real welcome to you, Isabella, on the podcast. Claudia, it's so wonderful to be here. It's such a thrill to realize how long we have known each other and to be connecting so many years later on something that I'm so passionate about, and I know you are too. So thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Such a pleasure. So we have so many exciting topics to cover. But first, I would love to ask you to describe for listeners who don't yet know the beautiful South American country of Uruguay and the stunning seaside town of Jose Ignacio, where you are now based. Can you describe it a bit to give people a feeling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Uruguay in general, and Jose Ignacio specifically, has the most massive sky you can imagine. There's something almost this sensation of being like the sky is more than 180 degrees. It's like you're in a snow globe or something. <laughs> the sky is so massive. You can see the visual you know, landscape is so vast that everyone Beautiful. talks a lot about the sky because it's just so, it's so present somehow in like the light, the, the clouds, the colors of the sky. There's something kind of really special about the stars at night. It's very sort of primal elements in Uruguay. It's funny, the cuisine is also a little bit like this. The ocean, the land, the sky, it's sort of all of the elements are at play in their most simple and bare raw form. Food is like that as well. There's not a lot of, you know, uh, in like you see in a lot of Central American countries, sort of like mixes of spices and, and flavors. Mm -hmm. No, it's, you know, a potato with maybe a little bit of olive oil, maybe a little bit of salt, and that's it cooked on fire. You know, that's, wow. that's the best, you know, it's, it's the quality is so great. in a funny way of, in terms yeah. of just the elements really at play. And you see that in, in the landscape, in the tapestry of countryside and oceans that just are expansive. I really think one of the last places in the world that has still really, really virgin beaches where, you know, are just untouched lagoons and beaches and wetlands and 
people speak a lot about this very powerful healing energy in Uruguay and that you can feel it even just from arriving. I think the culture also accompanies this, this sort of very calm and serene and I've just completely fallen in love as you can imagine now that I'm living here and <laughs> yeah. uh, Jose Ignacio specifically to answer your question used to be just a tiny little fisherman's peninsula on the Atlantic Ocean in Uruguay and it has one little lighthouse you used to have to take a boat from the mainland just across a little piece of water and mm -hmm. so I think it was in 1994 they first put the little bridge and the, you know, water and electricity within just in the nineties, mid wow. to late nineties where it came to this little village. And it was one, it's one of the few places that has a lighthouse in Uruguay. So it became sort of an important port, but a port meaning for fishermen families, you know, just a real handful of them. And what makes it really so special is that you feel on this peninsula like you have water 360 degrees because you have the bay on one side, the ocean on the other, and this very rocky, beautiful sort of cliff, you know, cliffs, not, you know, not um, very but steep. But like dunes, sand and Dunes and, and rocks yeah. all around where you are. So it's about six blocks by six blocks. That's Jose Ignacio. So small. Wow. You know, then there are the outskirts. Lovely. That's really it with a little lighthouse. And then there was one little restaurant later on and then little by little has become kind of this very, you know, chic, cool place to be in, in South America, but it's really still maintains this very rustic, beautiful, romantic, and really incredibly physically beautiful place. So stunning. I had the pleasure when I was living in Buenos Aires to just spend a couple of days in Jose Ignacio. And this is, gosh, over well over 10 years ago. And I can still visualize it there. And you're right with the sky. It just seems so expansive. It's mm. such a magical place. So beautiful. Thank you for elaborating on that. You discussed the culinary hub or the gourmet eating there and that the specialists. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about the unbelievably, you can even say popular. I mean, you have Francis uh, Malman, who, who is also based there, um, that that Uruguay, many people I don't think are aware of as such a culinary hub, not just for South America, but but internationally as well. Can yes. you talk a bit about that? Yes. Well, you know, Francis Malman really pioneered and also brought to the forefront a style of cooking that has been sort of really native to the whole Rio de la Plata, you know? So we have Argentina and Uruguay is sort of in Rio de la Plata and the cult culturally they cook on an open fire grill. And so just in that, you know, the element of fire becomes sort of a, a main player in the composition of the meals. And there's a whole culture of sitting around and, you know, starting the fire and the fire has to be lit because then the, wood has to turn you know you have to cook with the um and so it's really it takes time it's not quick cooking and once they have the fire at this perfect place then you just become creative at putting things on the grill and they are in that purest kind of way it's it's really just a play with fire and the ingredient and what's mm -hmm. also so lovely about Uruguay is that the ingredients are so wonderful you know you know pure. the fish is pure and so you have just white fish and then again they don't like lots of sauces you know there's maybe that little chimichurri but it's always a little bit and it's on the side yeah um, you know to, but, but they don't have elaborate sauces they think it really just takes away from the sort of the, in the soul of the food whatever it is whether it's a carrot or a piece of meat or a, whatever and Francis Malman really took that really to the next level you know and and took that as almost this like 
spiritual way of connecting with your surroundings by bringing the fire and the ingredients and then making these delicious, elaborate, very creative meals that way. So from that, you know, it's become in Jose Ignacio had a, the, really one of the first restaurants that a lot of the people who worked with him at that restaurant now are the owners of the various restaurants in the area, started their own things. And there's all these wonderful stories about having worked with him. And so you have wonderful chefs who are doing really special things who are in the area. And also Uruguayan chefs or Argentinian chefs who have worked with him who are now all over with top restaurants in New York, LA, London. So some of the you know spotlight has come onto this style of cooking and and it's nice to really feel where it originated from which is here you know which is just that yeah. again back to the elements you know the fire totally. the potato the air the uh-huh. sky and then the that becomes this moment of eating that you see so yeah <laughs> it sounds really like paradise you've you've found the right spot on the planet uh, for sure mm-hmm. Can you tell us about the origins of the name The Shack, which uh, became The Shack Yoga, and your lifelong connection to the sea and natural wood as well? Of course. I love that question, Claudia. Yeah. Um, so it's so funny because it's actually, you know, it's such a simple word in English, but I never really quite considered how the shack spelled in English in Spanish is actually so complicated that it's a hilarious thing that in, in people who aren't quite aware of what shack means in English, we'll call it jack. So I have jack yoga, jack yoga, and it's spelled every single way, J-A-K, you know, J-A-C-K, S-H-A-K. So it's hilarious how seemingly really such a simple concept in the word has become a hilarious little twist and that got every idea how it's written possible. But the origins is actually wonderful because it's a very meaningful one to me. And basically to make it, you know, not an endless story. I was born by an American father and a Uruguayan mother. I was born and raised in New York. And I would come down to Uruguay speaking Spanish with my mother, you know, every year to visit her vast family in Uruguay. So I have really kind of always felt like I came from two worlds, so to speak, and to two cultures. And my father was a lover of wood and trees. And he was a sculptor a lot. You know, he was always had this split way of being in business, you know, uh, venture capitalist, but also really his heart was in art and being an artist. So as soon as he could early on in his career, he started to buy up small plots of land north of the highway in Long Island in Bridgehampton. And little by little, he acquired really failed potato crops, you know, at the time that were mm-hmm. just pieces of land that people didn't really put a lot of value to at the time, you know, and, and he loved the raw, he loved that it had nothing and it was rustic and raw and it was a lot of some potato crops and then these woods, these big expansive woods. And for a long time, he, you know, he even had, I think, a little trailer or a tiny little, you know, uh, sort of house that he put together literally with sticks just to be on the land because he just, it was so inspiring to him. And then the first thing he built was a studio and then a house that it was attached to the studio, you know, to his art <laughs> studio. So it wasn't the other way the around. Priorities. Like, build the studio and then add a little house, you know, alongside. <laughs> and his deep passion for nature and he would carve immense, you probably remember Claudia on the, you know, from years and years ago. Beautiful. Uh, he would uproot trees from the ground, all of this in Bridgehampton. And he would be inspired by the root structures and he would uh, carve these elaborate 
elaborate, you know, uh, beasts and, and, and women's bodies. And he would sort of see things in these branches and trees. And so he, you know, would work in these very large scale pieces of art. When he first acquired the land, the only thing that was built on the property at the time when he bought it was this very old, it was sort of like a bunker in the middle of the (laughs) woods that from what I understand, it was actually an ammunition shed to take trees down. So they would sort of, that was the old way to fell trees. You know, they would, instead of an ax, they had this little ammunition that would help sort of clear areas in the trees. So it was a little bunk in the middle of the woods where I guess it was an ammunition shed. And what it did was that it had these walls and I guess to protect from the explosion of ammunition, but these (laughs) walls that were maybe, you know, two feet thick. And on the outside was, it was sort of this oxidized metal. And it was this very kind of, you know, you would come up, you'd be walking in the middle of the nature, nothing around. All of a sudden you come up to this very kind of almost it could be spooky but it was really kind of this incredible little place that my father being a lover of wood with a friend of his cleared it out cleaned it up and added a tiny little attachment to it and made it this beautiful little house it was like this tiny little refuge that had a tiny kitchen that was all very you know, quaintly made, a bedroom, little windows he put through, even a sliding glass door. So this funky, funky, you kept, you know, the oxidized metal and the really thick, you know, everything. Yeah. But it had this incredibly charming shack. And we called it at home, we called it the shack. And so, you know, as my sister and I would go, you know, every weekend, every summer, every moment that we weren't at school, we would be there. And our favorite thing to do was to go visit the shack, take these long walks out to the shack. And it was a really interesting thing. If I ever think about sort of maybe my first mystical experiences, it really can be in those woods, you know, going to the shack and, and having sort of the awe of being in a place that was far away from civilization at the time. It's so funny, you know, here we are talking about Long Island, but in my little brain. Of course, you know, especially in comparison to Manhattan, right? So especially, yeah. <laughs> And also to how it is now, because, you know, there's a lot of it still intact, but really at the time, you know, there weren't, we didn't have neighbors. It was really a different place. The Hamptons, you know, uh, much calmer. Yes, very much. So we would take these walks out to the shack and it was really just our little mystical haven. And then of course, as I got older, I even spent summers living in the shack and it was really my place in the world. I mean, I would travel, I would go to school, I would do this and that, and then, if you ask me where do you feel the most comfortable, where do you feel the most happy or free or or grounded or at home, it would be at the shack. It really, there was just this fantasy aspect of it, but at the same time, a really grounding thing about the shack. And anyway, long story short, the shack started after years and years, there was a little bit of decay in the walls and we were trying to figure out a way to salvage it. And we tried to lift up this was the most hilarious thing and the nostalgia that we had for it a little Uh corner of the property had to be sold and it was right where the shack was and it was a really horribly sad thing that we didn't want to happen but really because of the shack so we tried with a friend who had this certain special tractor to lift up the shack from its foundation and try to move it to a different part of the property and in the process all the walls just started to come down and we actually saved these walls because they're just so sort of iconic but we have it sort of in stacks in the woods so it was a really sad thing and this happened several years ago and 
jumping forward when I decided in, I guess it was 2012, 2013 to open a, at the time, yoga studio with a wellness component, yoga studio in Jose Ignacio, you know, I was trying to figure out a name and I couldn't, it just it wasn't really coming. And I was just thinking, well, yoga, maybe think about something, you know, in Sanskrit or something. But I, I also really knew that it, that the concept really was beyond just yoga and just a sort of yoga philosophy that I wanted it to be sort of a little bit more open to more accessible, uh, uh, to sort of accessible. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I was thinking really, it's, what am I creating? I'm creating a space. It's a space that things happen in. And, and I, then at one moment I remembered the shack and I said, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to bringing the shack back, you know, from, um, you know, like Phoenix rising from the ashes. And yeah. I thought it, how lovely to bring the shack that's, from the other part of my life, from the Northern Hemisphere, bring it down to the Southern Hemisphere. And from then on, it, the minute I remembered it, it, it stuck. And so it became the shack. <laughs> yeah. I love that story. It's so beautiful. Tell me about the time you arrived in Montevideo, the, the capital of Uruguay, with 25 yoga mats. Oh my gosh. Well, that was funny. It's like you could look at it as the low point or the high point of, of the process. But <laughs> Yes. Oh God. You know, I had yoga mats stuffed in every crevice of, you know, as many suitcases as I could possibly bring down on one flight. I had a moment, you know, in my mid late twenties or late twenties where I just, I think a lot of people can probably relate to this where you have a turning point in your life, yeah. a crossroads rather where the certain cycles of the work, a relationship, a thing had, had ended and that it wasn't as obvious immediately what the next thing was. And those are actually such wonderful moments, I think, because it forced me to pause and, and, and thank God that I did, because I think if I hadn't, I would have so quickly continued with a similar version of what I had been doing. Cause that seems sure, like the, the rat easiest. race. Uh, exactly. Where, you know, it was, mm -hmm. uh, and it was all right there and I was already living in it. So it was accessible. The other thing wasn't very clear at all. There wasn't really a path, but I gave myself a moment to say, okay, before I go in, which I know I can to another job, to another thing and to sort of continue, I'm going to just take a little moment, almost like a sabbatical few months of just, and I thought to travel and I thought to go to Uruguay and I remember arriving and just saying okay I have to figure out I love being here it's so important for my story which I can also tell you about as well but sure. the importance of it to me became so clear and I said okay the only way it will be something that I can do in any sustainable way is if I do a project here and not just like try to visit every now and then and that's when I decided to try out, put a little savings into renting a yoga studio and a little house. I hadn't seen any real yoga studios around, especially in Jose Ignacio or that area. And I said, listen, the worst case is that no one comes. I have a great summer and practice in my own studio and anyone wants to come. And we'll, it was kind of like a little bit of an idea. Okay. I've never really opened my own business, never, ever opened my own business. Uh -huh. And it felt a little bit nuts, you know, but the, how nuts it actually was landed when I, you know, I'd already rented the studio and this house and I'd been in touch with the real estate agent and I was packing my bags and I was, my friends were like, what are you doing again? And where are you going? <laughs> and, and so you're long? leaving from New York city. Yes. To, I'm so in New York city. Yeah. I didn't sort of research the market so well. I didn't really have, you know, my business plan was really just the most simple idea of just 
trying something out. And that's where I found myself, (laughs) as I mentioned (laughs) to you, you know, at the Montevideo airport, which is this feeling of the the sort of absurdity of all of these yoga mats spilling out of my bags everywhere. And I'm arriving (laughs) and I'm alone. I'm like, what am I doing here? Like what, what I, it was like the absurdity of it kind of hit me. And the whole process of arriving was so funny, but luckily I, I got my flow back and was able to have a, a smoother start. But the, the arrival was such a moment where I just remember being at the airport, you know, you have those mirrors and I have these bags and everything spilling out of the bags and I'm a complete <laughs> mess. You know, nothing is organized the way like starting a business I thought in my head should be, you know, like where yeah. is the team? How is this organized? And I'm staring at myself in the mirror of this airport being like, <laughs> Isabella, have you completely lost your mind? It was one of those moments that were, it wasn't the highlight, but in a way, you know, I can look back and say, well, thank God I did it, even against all odds. <laughs> exactly. I, I love that. So it's so beautiful. And, and I've had a few times also in my life where I guess curiosity, excitement to try new different things came and sort of took over, but have having those moments. And, and I actually had a similar one when I decided to work with street children in Buenos Aires of, of all places. And my flight with Adolinas Argentinas got cancelled the Thursday. I was supposed to fly out Sunday nights. was in Florida at the time. It took me two days to actually get through on the telephone to the airline to figure out, was I actually going to be flying? I was going to be committing several months of my life to go and do this, etc. And Anyway, they rebooked me on the next morning. So I booked some cheap airport hotel, which is probably the most disgusting hotel of my life in Miami under some like highway bypass. And like, I don't know what was going on. So I don't even want to know. And I was lying by myself and the the friends had gone back to Europe. And I was thinking, what am I actually doing? Like, why? How did I think this was a good idea? But as you said before, I think that these are the moments and the experiences that actually, you know, it's really getting out of your comfort zone and, and trying out new things and and you look back and you say these were some of the most magical exceptional experiences in my life and have really shaped and and formed me so such a beautiful story Isabella thank you thank you for sharing that you talked about you know being born to an American father and and a Uruguayan mother and growing up with two cultural identities how would you say this has influenced you in your life? So I think when I was younger I felt very split you know I felt so there were these opposing forces that didn't really have a place to coexist easily in my mm-hmm. life. My mother passed away when I was five, you know, mm-hmm. as you know, we, mm-hmm. we were in kindergarten together. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so it also cre- added to this sort of split where we, at the time, my parents were also separated. So I didn't mm-hmm. ever coexist with both cultures, let's say in the yeah. household. I really remember a Uruguayan household until she, the time she died. And then we moved in with my father and He really, you know, did the best he could to continue the connection with our family in Uruguay, so much so that he would make it sure that we went down every year, even after she died, even if he didn't come or he would, he would come with us. And then even if not, we would have someone fly with us or meet us at the airport and we would go down to see the family. But even then it was this incredibly long voyage, you know very, very far. It felt like you were really going to the other side of the world, which we are. And I didn't ever have any bridge to cross the two worlds. It was like either I was in the American world, which also I also associated so much with, you know, education, the North, my father, masculine. It was always winter there, you know, and summer (laughs) down in South America. 
And so it was sort of really occupied or a certain part of myself. And that when I went to Uruguay, it really felt like night and day. It would open up not only, and I remember thinking so much about language that it you think a different way, you know, and you come to almost different conclusions in a different language. And, yeah. and in Spanish and the sound of it and how it was to me, this soft, you know, it was my mother. It was South America. It was always summer when we went down and so it felt like these really really opposing polarized in my life polarized wow yeah and I do remember that as I got older and part of my journey of of wellness that started I think in a funny way kind of quite young at least the first initial ideas of it had to do a lot with bridging this kind of gap inside myself you know and I think mm-hmm. What I love when I hear about other people's journeys as well in wellness or health or is that everyone, everybody has a personal story, some sort of healing that they are doing inside and that mine is very much having to do kind of with this, the trauma of my mother passing away when I was very little, also a little too young to really be able to process it in any sort of a real emotion, you know, which... Yeah. It is interesting. I think even also being in the 80s, there wasn't a lot of understanding intelligence or, or, you know, and I think our school did as good a job as it could to really support us and the family, but that I didn't really have the education or guidance to say, okay, these are how we deal with our emotions. And it, when yeah. you hold in these emotions for too long, they make you unwell. And so I really yeah. found myself that later at, at about 10 or 11, I started to have headaches, suffer from headaches, you know, no idea what I went to a neurologist, CAT scans, I remember sleeping, MEEGs, you know, it was like, at such a young age, they were saying, well, where are these headaches coming from? And there were these low grade, constant headaches, they weren't migraines. When we started ruling stuff out medically, medically, until finally, the neurologist, I guess I was working with it, it must just be depression. So psychiatrist, okay, antidepressants. After a while, very quickly realized this isn't helping. And so I even remember at age 11, I stopped it all. And I said, okay, there's no cause for this. I'm going to have to just live with it. It wasn't debilitating, but it was like I was having stress headaches. You know, Um, (laughs) that was what it was. It was a suppressed emotion, right? It was suppressed emotion, 100%. Yeah, The body doesn't And that's how my body was dealing with it. And I just remember (laughs) saying, okay, I didn't find any solution in the doctor. So there's no, nothing that I can do. So I remember sort of keeping it. I didn't talk about my headaches again until later on in university, I did my first yoga class. So anyway, that's kind of how it all started. And I remember that for a few hours after my first yoga class, I came out and I said, Oh my God, I don't have a headache. Wow. Something about this moving the energy around inside and also after yoga, I would always be wanting to cry. And that the, I said, oh my gosh, something's happening here that is yeah. actually really kind of profound. And I'm like a little freaked out by it, but it, yeah. but it was like the idea that me by myself, obviously I'm being led by a teacher, but I'm in this room and there are no attachment, EEG attachments or MRIs <laughs> or whatever. And I myself am creating this massive change inside of myself that's generating all these things, but at the end of the day, alleviating these headaches I've had for so long. And so anyway, the, it's this self-healing path really. And so, you know, what it was like for me to grow up was a lot of it was bridging this gap, being able to talk about my mother who 
a lot of my friends even and my colleagues at the time or classmates didn't even know I had this whole side of me. So to say, you know, how do I bridge is to become an integrated whole human being and to be able to live with these two energies almost or these two cultures, these two things that are very present in me and, and in a sense sort of heal them inside myself. And so it is very relevant in a way to my path. Beautiful. You touched on a bit your first experience with yoga and maybe was that how it uh, started you down the, the path to found the, the Shak Yoga? And, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about your revelation you had after that first class. It's so funny because I, it almost sounds like a cliche, but it really felt like after that first class, a little light bulb went off. You know, I had been, I had done gymnastics, I had done all sorts of sports and I could sense that obviously physical activity was, was good for me. It helped sort of, you know, but that I was definitely not, there was no sort of mind, body, emotion. There was no touching upon one's, you know, emotional world or no dialogue at all around the idea of any energy or anything like that. So Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm doing dance and, and then I go to my first yoga class and I remember this experience, as I said, this experience, it really was so powerful specifically because I couldn't believe that I had done something through these breathing techniques and specific postures and, and using even my mind and focus to create this experience inside of myself that was really kind of profound because it shifted something that had been so stuck, you know, really this trauma that had settled in and I didn't really know what to do with it, it had become this sort of thick, heavy, sort of dense energy that, you know, now I'm looking back, you know, my headaches were really that. Wow. But anyway, I was so moved by, you know, how profound in a sense the experience had been that I remember thinking, oh God, now I have to, you know, how unfortunate, but this is, I obviously now have to shave my head, move to India, <laughs> live in an ashram for the rest of my life. You know, I remember seeing, okay, well, like, there are orange robes that I think you have to wear <laughs> and that, you know, I have to really say goodbye to all my worldly possessions and my family and my friends. because this is it. It was so, you know, <laughs> and I remember even talking at the time to the, my yoga teacher who was just like, Oh yeah, no, I, you actually, you know, you really don't have to do that. You know, like, <laughs> that's not like a mandatory a thing. <laughs> you know, she's like, you know, there are other ways to, you know, if you want to, deepen a yoga practice here you're just really doing it once a week with me if you want to deepen it there are lots of ways to do so but I was really convinced I remember I think I even wrote you know sort of our in our end of year because it was in in university so we even had to write about our yoga set our final paper or something about the yoga that was sessions that we had done or you know And that I was just really, I wrote in this final paper, just that I was really ready to, you know, <laughs> say goodbye to my life, to the world and to go into some ashram or monastery or something. But luckily I found out pretty soon that there were ways to deepen a yoga practice without that. And in fact, I do you know, have <laughs> met others who did choose that. And it's a wonderful thing, but I, it really wasn't my path. And I remember thinking how funny that it was something that I thought that you had to do in order to have any kind of <laughs> spiritual practice in a modern life. You know, I didn't know they could coexist yet. <laughs> I love it. Do you have any particular morning routine to set yourself up to win the day? Mm, that's a nice one. Yeah. I do seated meditation and I do 10 minutes. So 10 minutes, you know, I remember thinking, God, I should be doing more than 10 minutes. You know, 10 is really for beginners, but I have found that 
for me right now, at least <laughs> raising two little kids and running yeah. the wellness center, um, that if I, you know, add more or I make it too hefty of a goal in the morning yeah. that it either won't happen or I won't really have a winning, as you said, to have to have a winning day. Yeah. Uh, it won't. I'll be rushed and you know, I go from this wonderful hour and a half, you know, personal practice to, you know, rushing my kids into school or getting breakfast ready. So I do 10 minutes. I, I wake up after a shower, sit in a seated meditation. And before I start, I do a little Kapalabhati, so a little breath work for like maybe 30 seconds of that or a minute. And then it's 10 minutes on my I little, I, everyone says I, and you know, they're wonderful apps and I actually haven't used one yet, sort of insight timer and all these things, but I just use my little crystal bells timer, 10 minutes already set. And I have my meditation cushion, which really makes such a difference. And I just sit in the little space I created in my bedroom and I do 10 minutes. 10 minutes is really just try to quiet down and slow down and clean out almost all of the static or noise or any sort of buildup from, you know, mental energy that just lodges in throughout the night. Even. Sure. Um, and sometimes if I have a little more time, I can add another five minutes to it, which is really sort of manifesting or visualizing and really creating in sort of a mental imprint, what either I want my day to look like, or sometimes I'll even have sort of love-based emotion words that I'll use to create an intention for a period of time that I'm in. So it can even last for, you know, three months or this month or six months that I'm really cultivating, you know, whether it's clarity or, you know, confidence or ease or gratitude, or, you know, I'll find words that are resonating with something that I feel like I'm really ready to to generate more of in my life and mm-hmm. so I'll just put a lot of energy you know energy follows thoughts so I'll just try to really put my mind into good use you know so it's like yeah. clean it out and then yeah. focus it you know as really we get mm-hmm. to choose our thoughts and so spend even if it's just a minute after the meditation to say okay what quality of thoughts do I want to have how do I want to guide my thoughts uh, so that my day can follow that. Yeah. And so that sort of usually is sort of some sort of intention setting for either the day, as I said, or the moment of time that I'm in. Yeah. It's so amazing. The more, I think people who have come to the realization of the importance of having that sort of inner reflection time, especially at the beginning of the day, to really set them up to win the day and also the power of visualization, right? And I, I think Tony Robbins has a great expression. He says, where focus goes, energy flows. And I love the fact you said that you have a choice, right? So you choose where you want to focus on. And I think that's such powerful words that I'm still kind of working on understanding sort of on this journey. But I think, you know, when you read about the greatest achievers in the world, how many of them use the power of visualization and inner reflection and and thinking to achieve amazing things. So that sounds really amazing. I'd love to talk a little bit more about your creating the Shakyogi. You've touched on a, a few of the things in Jose Ignacio, but I wanted to share a quote that's on the Shakyoga website, uh, which I found really beautiful. We believe that every human being has the intrinsic capacity to self-heal and discover structural, emotional, and mental wholeness. Can you talk, Isabella, about the meaning behind this belief? It sounds amazing. You know, I think it really just goes back to this true belief from my own personal experience and also meeting so many incredible people on my journey 
as teachers and guides or colleagues who I've learned this from as well. Well-being and healing is something that happens when we shift our focus inward. And that idea of me being hooked up to all those things, and, and luckily it was really just tension headaches because there are people who are suffering from so many things. So the capacity to heal, we move outside of ourselves and into professionals and thank God for all of the professionals there, because there are many times when you absolutely need to, Yeah. but that actually to shift into this a concept or an idea that there is self-healing, that there is this state there, you can create sort of an ecosystem or an, an environment inside yourself through your thoughts, your words, your actions, your habits, you know, that you create, creates energy that heals imbalances. So anything that's emotional, structural, physical, on a cellular level, emotional level, can be brought back into a state of balance. And that actually that's our nature is to be in a healthy well state but that so many things through traumas and lifestyle shift us out of that and so the process of coming back into a state of well-being and contentment and health and and really thriving in your life and not just getting by with these things that you know um is to, to bring that, you know, it's like a birthright, almost take it back, take the power back in and, yeah. and to really own it in a way. And, and it doesn't mean to disconnect from professionals or even the medical, you know, mainstream medicine, but to say, okay, this is an internal movement. Healing is an internal movement that happens. And so own it, take it back. And so with the idea of the shack and the idea of not, you know, I studied so many different philosophies and things that it's not so much about training people in a specific technique because although there are techniques what I really wanted is creating a space so that people can practice self-healing and how they practice self-healing well that is the interesting part then there are Uh lots of different tools and it depends on who you are what tendencies you have what gravitates you what excites you you know that we're sort of a whole person and so whether you want to come at it through physical detoxification or you through talk therapy and more energy work or through even like an activation of physical fitness yoga practice or hands-on therapy so there's lots of different ways that one can heal and that is almost irrelevant how to heal well let's play with that let's get into that there's there are a lot and I love and I I think we're going to continue as a human race to continue to find ways to be healing but Mm -hmm. those are really tools I think the the main the hardest shift is to realize this is something that I have control over. You know, it's shifting, as you were saying, out of that sort of victim mentality or that I yeah. lived in forever, forever yeah. with these headaches. Oh, I just have headaches. Or, you know, yeah. I'm I'm a victim of a certain circumstance that caused me so much trauma that this is why. And I could even, and everyone would understand, of course you're a victim. And to say, okay, well, that, although that may be true, that's not where the story stops, you know? And in yeah. fact- this trauma is, this is your, you know, ammunition to or superpower. get back on yeah. your path. Yeah. And to say, okay, well, you know, do I accept this as the way I'm going to feel from now on? No. And so that's when I think the real interesting work starts. And so, yes, we believe that everyone has the capacity to self-heal and that very much so it can be in close tandem with a guide, professional, a healer, a doctor, a therapist, or 
yoga teacher or whatever, but that it's really an action that's happening internally. Oh, beautiful. So yeah, taking the first step and, and from this powerless to actually realizing how powerful we each are. And to, I guess you, you create that space, right? And empower people to realize that they can actually take back control of maybe a lot of ailments that they might have and, and how to fix that through different ways. And I mean, you, you mentioned uh, different points, but I mean, to focus specifically on yoga and you, you said there's different philosophies and different practices, but you know, just concretely at, at the Shack Yoga, you know, do you mix up the different types of teachings? You said, you know, people from every walk of life. Can you kind of take us through mm-hmm. a day of and, and the clients that come in and things you see? Maybe you can walk through a day so we, we can get a feel of yeah, what you do. Sure. So I guess the, the the broader scope of that would be that we sort of see people who come in as being that human beings are also either in a state of activation, purification, or rest. And that those are almost the things that the energies that people are needing. So sometimes you see people who are really needing to activate, to move. Movement is activation really primarily to activate their bodies, which is such an important thing to be doing. You know, we're, we're creatures that are meant to move. And so a lot of times these imbalances or illnesses or things that come up are really from a lack of movement. Uh, quite simply. Office um, jobs, I guess, as well. Office right? jobs, I mean, yeah. Sitting for hours. Forever. And so sort of within activation, you know, we have a ton of different things that we'll recommend. We have a really wonderful trainer who does personalized sessions to work specifically with how to move your body. Because I think a lot of people say, oh, I need to move. They'll join a gym. They'll start working and they'll get hurt or they'll you know, or they'll get unmotivated or they, it's, it's hard, they're lost or, or getting on a bike, you know, it sort of isn't quite inspiring enough or getting there. So working with, we really recommend working with someone. And even if it's just a little bit in the beginning to get you on a really focused schedule, then there are the yoga classes that are more dynamic, the vinyasa kind of more flow yoga classes that we also very much recommend. And then activation can also be, you know, activating through sweat sort of sweat therapies, you know, and that also helps Uh to activate. It's funny, the activation, purification and rest are sort of the energies that we see kind of are created in nature. And it's interesting because even in the, in yoga philosophy, the sort of the way that they see like, you know, all the energies in the universe are directed either by, you know, it's either birth, death or preservation. So it's kind of like Uh the idea of creation, destruction and maintenance, kind of the idea of activation, purification, and then rest. The three deities in in yoga philosophy represent these energies that are constantly at play in the universe. And so we're always in touch with these energies inside of ourselves. And I think that there are times when we need more one than the other, almost on a therapeutic level at the shop, we sort of help people, we help guide people to say, do you need to be moving more? And so with activation, we'll bring up you know, as I said, we'll, we'll organize someone with more active based classes. And then if someone's really needing to detox and really everybody needs all of them, but sometimes there's needs to be more of a focus. Purification what is, more pronounced. is really exactly. So we'll even have purification will be a lot of like body work. Uh, that's, you know, maybe lymphatic drainage, a lot more of the sweating, you know, um, elimination. It's about just eliminating some more gentle, maybe yoga and physical activity. Cause it's really just a state more of detoxification that someone's needing. And so we'll arrange different sessions and classes and things. And then rest is really when someone is just, there's this, 
feeling of, you know, it takes a lot to either activate and purify. And so the rest is sort of finding that's really where we should be at. So we activate, we purify, and also different cycles of the day, you know, this is also happening, but the resting state is almost like that's when we are maybe in balance as well. And the body can just be in a state of calm where you're yeah. not really needing it's almost between the exhale and the inhale it's this sort of moment of, of calm and so we even have people who are after they do more of the other more intensive ext- or sort of extremes that there are balancing restful helping people find uh joy in the neutrality of your being almost where your your body is not either in a state of intense detox or in a state of intense activation but that once you've gone through those sort of healing energies that are more extreme that you find yourself in a state of balance and that that's actually where we should be living most of the time (laughs) yeah beautiful and and really amazing and I I wonder the clients that come I mean do people come because Jose Ignacio Obviously, there's people who live there full time, but a lot of people come sort of to visit. So do they come in a form of retreats that you help them over the course of a week or whatever amount of time that they're there for to rebalance, reshift, recalibrate to achieve the detox and the balancing that that you were talking about? So, yes, with this opening, the building of the wellness center, which was really completed itself at the end of 2019, December, yep. 2019. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, that. where we, yes. Well, where, where we launched and then had to close right in March. Right. So we were with open COVID. for that first season with COVID. Exactly. Um, but that for, it was such an incredible launch. It was really the marriage of the shack, which I had started, as I said, back when I had that moment in the airport day one uh, <laughs> to partnering with the Vic retreats, which we'll get into as well, but that the goal, which we have just only really begun to be able to do as we reopened now, and we're going to start to continue to do is that we have people come in who live in the area or are here visiting in the summers. So Jose Ignacio is a place where a lot of Argentinians, Brazilians, and even Europeans and Americans have homes and they come for the summer season. It's really becomes, you know, very busy during the summer season. Usually the season was a little different, but that we have a high season and the hotel as well has guests who stay. And so we have, you know, it's really a space that allows for both hotel guests and general public to come. Along with that, we do host retreats. And so we'll organize a week long, even a weekend or week long retreat that has a focus of being either meditation or yoga or combination where we'll either invite guest teachers or, you know, and and it's a combination of having guest teachers come and having the South American population join, or it's people who are coming from abroad from the U S and Europe typically, and coming to, to stay for a week to do a, you know, a wellness retreat. And so What's so nice about having this space is that it really opens up the possibility of, you know, of that dream of mine that with a little yoga studio more in town, although it was, I loved it every day being in there, it was really a, a, an important step to be able to carry out these programs of having retreats and being able to go deeper, which is really what 
the idea is, is okay, self-healing is wonderful, but if you only have a little stint of it, you know, to, to really have the opportunity to, to dive deep into some of these retreats. Maybe you can walk through a little bit more the details. So, you know, just to visualize, so you, you had the shack yoga and you, you had the small space in town and how, how did it come to what you're creating now with this wellness center for longevity and, and well-being for South America? So maybe you could just walk from, you know, how it was with the, the original shack to where you yes, are now. Yes, Absolutely. Well, the original shack was, I mean, it was just the most charming. It really was a little shack. It was right in the, you know, the center of town, just whitewashed wooden, big windows, wooden floors, but it was small and very charming. And it was exactly perfect for that first, those first few years. I mean, I immediately, and it was, what was amazing was that I arrived, there was like a little sprucing up and laying out the mats. And it was like, (laughs) That's all it needed. It was so perfect as it was, just that sort of rustic, that again, sort of posing Nazi Uruguay, rustic yeah. simplicity that you didn't need to do any elaborate sort of wallpapering or reconstructing. It was all very, the, the, the simpler, the better, you know, whitewashed, kind of beachy, wonderful vibe to it. So, you know, I was lucky because there really weren't other studios in around and that people who were coming who had been coming and were beginning to come more and more to Jose Ignacio and Punta del Este, Punta del Este being about 40 minutes away from Jose Ignacio. So, you know, close enough that and the whole area becoming sort of more and more popular as a vacation place in, in, in the area that people had a craving for it. They really, it was something there was like a you know, a lack of it in the market, you know, which I didn't, a good thing, because I had no idea. I didn't do enough research (laughs) to even know in advance. And the ability to do it in two languages, because there were a lot of people who are, you know, tourists and a lot of people who are living there. So to have, and at first I remember, I mean, my class ends up being this like Spanglish mix, but to kind of (laughs) have everyone be able to follow some part of it. And and it's just a one-room studio with a little massage, you know, treatment room in the back tiny tiny little kitchen which is really just in the hallway between the massage room and the bathroom and I always loved my bathroom all the sunlight would pour in and beautiful the sweetest little bathroom and that's it it was that was it (laughs) wraparound deck a big wraparound deck around that studio which really created something unexpected which is that I would put little I would put like a little tea and some fruit and nuts and we had these beautiful sort of hammocks and, and couches outside and that it would became this community gathering center in a funny way. It was like, you know, everyone is was used to either connecting at a restaurant or maybe a boutique or at the beach. But there was suddenly, as anyone who does have a yoga studio that they love to go to, it becomes your place. You know, you go, you feel some sort of ownership of the space, which is really wonderful because it makes it yours in a way. And we would have classes. And then after class, people would just sit and have tea and you would see people meeting and having really sort of profound, you know, morning connections that were profound and awake and, and meaningful somehow. And, and also fun and light and just this, this vibe was created, you know, this, this um, amazing and that really was so much fun to see that, you know, that people were doing really hard work and then they were able to come out of class and spend time and then walk down to the beach. And the people would say, wow, you know, this, you know, this 20% of my vacation that was based on 
well, yoga or wellness or the therapy that I did just made my entire vacation so much more rich and full. I was able to enjoy my family. I was able to really take in this beautiful place we're in and, you know, that it, it really supported people that, you know, and a lot of these very high functioning people who work really hard and the rest of the year, it's their one time to be with their family. And it's hard to make the switch. You're in a beautiful place. You have a great house or you're here or you're, and how to actually, okay, stop, pause. And that's what it was. The shock was like, you've arrived, you know, you've arrived. So you're in the present there was moment. This, yes. Be in the present and connect. And that it was just how simple and how powerful that can be, you know, that we should be doing it every day, but even if it's every year, you know, really powerfully <laughs> to say, okay, this is my time to really connect and then to stay in the present and to have a different type of holiday where you will have fun and you will go out and you'll do all these activities, but that something about it will have this awareness and this slowing down and that you're reminded to enjoy and make eye contact and to, and that all of the feedback was that it was so important to people to do this. And it was really the one, it, it was a gift that they were giving themselves. You know, that was this little, it was this charming little studio. We would pack everybody in, you know, in the old days now, uh, pre-COVID, <laughs> pack everyone in, you know, mat to mat and have these great classes. We'd had four classes a day. You know, I basically almost taught all of them. We had a couple other teachers, but it was like really high energy, uh, really fun. But I started to feel after a little while that the space was very funky. It was very sweet. But I mean, you know, the floorboards would be would lift up. I'd have to keep nailing them down. You know, there it would rain sometimes in certain parts of the studio, you know, and I was also limit the size became limiting because, you know, I would have retreats, back-to-back retreats in a little room. And wow. it was just, I'd have to find another space for my daily classes. And it was just, I was bursting at the seams after a while and feeling really limited. And a lot of my energy was just on like, the little space rather than the, pro, you know, the things that were really interesting to me. So yeah. at one moment I thought, okay, I really need to find another, uh, the next incarnation of the shack essentially in Hosanatsu. Yeah. And it was clear that it was working and that people were wanting it. And it was, I was loving the process of, of, of it, but it felt like, okay, next step. And that's when Alex and Carrie Vick, who are the owners of Vick Retreats in Uruguay, I boutique hotel chain uh-huh. they also have hotels in chile and in italy but that they interestingly alex Vick also has his mother was uruguayan so we actually oh, wow. when we first met you know uh, oh we, we come from the northern hemisphere he uh, <laughs> but, but had mothers who were uruguayan and they started a beautiful hotel group that is estancia Vick, plaja Vick, and bahia Vick. so three really gorgeous hotels beautiful I'll, I'll link them in yeah. the show notes as well for, for people to take a look yeah, uh-huh. great good and they were some of my best students I mean they'd come to every class and what I love is that so many people would say you know this is the only time of year that I even practice yoga but it was like the sort of gifts that they would give themselves like maybe they did other sports or other activities but then they'd come to us and everyone would do yoga it was just like okay everyone goes and we do yoga and thanks um, to you I mean you brought yes, it there right it was yeah, yeah no exactly so they were in I think it was a simultaneous moment where I'm looking to kind of expand the space that I'm working out of and they wanted to incorporate wellness more 
prominently um, into the forefront of the experience of staying at the hotels. Uh, they have a wonderful artistic element to all of the hotels. It's very interesting. You can read more about that, but that they really wanted to, you know, capture the beauty of being in Uruguay and that the experience of being staying in the hotel would allow for a, a, a focused wellness. Um, uh, and so basically it was, that was it. It was, you know, this combination of where I was wanting something, you know, that I could expand into. And so we just built and designed a freestanding wellness center that is located on the Bahia Vic property, which is on the water. And it was a dream come true. I mean, it was to be able to, you know, being so confined with that small studio, you know, and spending maybe, what was it, six years, I guess, envisioning, oh, if I only had, you know, a little <laughs> extra space to do this or to do that or to have a simultaneous yeah. class or to do a retreat. Da, da, da. And so to be able to, you know, design something that I wanted to maintain very pure and simple, you know, like materials that we use were all very natural and of the landscape and to keep the shock energy, but bring it up a notch in the sense that we can really receive people to do long-term healing treatment plans, to be able to have a studio, you know, two movement studios, to expand our vocabulary in a sense, because it always was the, the main idea for me that yoga was the starting point for me. And then I did go on into and venture into other area aspects of wellness. So that I do believe that, as I said, yoga is a tool, um, one of many, and that I, I think that it's an important thing that people can explore the different tools because in different moments in your life, as well as different types of people, certain tools are just going to align with you. Whereas yeah. others really don't are, aren't. And that it's would be so unfortunate if you just said, okay, go to a Kundalini yoga class. Some people are going to love it. Others are just going to say, this isn't for me. And how unfortunate it would be to have them turn around and, and say, never mind <laughs> with this whole <laughs> wellness thing, you know, which more and more and more people are now. I mean, wellness, which I love, is since I've left New York, you know, now it's all over, um, <laughs> place, which I just, it's great because it wasn't, you know, however many years ago. But yeah, the idea of there being lots of tools in the toolbox, essentially, um, a wellness center is such a sort of general term. And so, what is that? And it's true, what is that? I mean, you know, it's such a but what it is, is a space that you have an array of things and a, a vocabulary of, of modalities that are all geared and all the umbrella of that self-healing. But there can be so many ways and we don't have all the ways. We have some and as we expand, it'll, you know, provide more opportunity, but that it's been wonderful. And so we have hotel guests who are doing retreats and, and have their stay and their daily practices at the shack. You know, they can walk right over from Bayavik. And then people who might, you know, my people from forever where I've been coming to classes and treatments and everything continue to come. So it's been really an, a fun experience. Yeah. Working with them and creating a space that now I feel like I can finally, you know, call home. <laughs> so amazing and, and so beautiful. And we were talking beforehand about how this impacts sort of well-being and longevity. And obviously there's such a big movement now of people's awareness about living better, also longer. But how would you say the daily yoga or regular yoga practice and what other ways, I mean, you talked about meditation as well, would help improve people's day-to-day -day quality of life? I mean, obviously I, I can imagine some people would, myself included, love to experience what you created there. But are there 
tools and tactics from a more practical day-to-day perspective to somebody who's not there that you would say this is the aspect of yoga or the connection or the mindfulness like what is it that would help people improve quality of life that are learnings for you from yoga and well-being focus that you're looking at oh that's a great one because i mean it's it's an infinite journey (laughs) to um, of course so I can respond in a way that I've recently been really thinking about sort of, I said, I guess, essentially like how energy works in our bodies and that the dialogue of energy being sort of the energy can either contract or expand inside, or that's the way that it can feel. It's either contracting or sort of expanding. And that yeah. I think we can be, you know, sustaining over time a sort of contracted state, which then can be, you know, you can see that in sort of chronic inflammation or, you know, something that's sustained over time, oftentimes through habits, through trauma that hasn't been worked through, lifestyle choices, which oftentimes is all connected. How we make the lifestyle choice is affecting, you know, the trauma or the trauma is affecting how we make choices or yeah. these things start to create density essentially or, or, uh, contracted energy in our bodies. And I think that we start to get unwell, you know, where it's, it's not, like your headaches, and, right? Yeah. Like our headaches, like the systems in our bodies start to fail and they're, they're sort of in survival mode until they stop working or until they get, until we have a reaction or until our body finally has a louder signal of saying things are not well. And that there is another language, which is more of an expansive state, which I think is doing the daily work because it really is it's like cleaning your house or brushing your teeth it's like well if you don't sweep the floor you can sweep it once but then it'll you know you have to sweep it again it builds up again be this Uh daily thing which is a a tricky one for a lot of people because they'll have this incredible thing this is what I always tell people yeah it's great you do yoga once a year when you come but what about the rest of the year so that's also part of the idea is that the wellness center is allowing for us to do more year-round programming which is what I'm really excited about Um, there's a lot to do in the off season you know the healing doesn't stop so you know I think it's as I said what tool it is can be, you can take some time to figure out what it is. It doesn't have to be this type of yoga. It doesn't have to be, you know, this. It can be, you know, affirmations. It can be meditation. It can be yoga. It can be even fitness because fitness, I think we're bringing, what I liked about having the fitness aspect at first, it felt a little bit out of my comfort zone, but I realized you can make fitness as conscious movement. Okay, absolutely. That's super powerful. And so bringing something in that becomes a part of the way that you live your life. And so the choices that you make in your day are going to affect how you are long-term. And that, you know, we have heard this so much, but somehow it really is powerful to incorporate it actually, because what you're doing is that you're constantly regenerating your energy and you're constantly letting go of things you need to let go of that are impeding Mm -hmm. your path somehow. And you're making space for the birth of something new, whether it's more calm, you know, a deeper breath in, you know, you have to let go of the air, you know, it's, you can see it in every, in every practice that we have to get rid of things that are cluttered up, like the, our closets, you know, and our, our, our house. And spring cleaning. Continue. And then soon it'll be moldy and it'll affect the foundation of your house. But if you keep it clean, it'll stay, the foundation will stay clean. So 
it's preventative medicine. And I just love how sort of low tech, low cost it is. It's just so basic sometimes, but it is so challenging to make it a lifestyle choice. But it's not just, you know, something you do from here and there, but it's actually a sustainable practice of whatever sort and that you come back to it. And I think just to close on that is that I even found, and I think that why it's so hard for people is because oftentimes it's not a very pleasurable experience at first. When you sit down and you're told to close your eyes and take a deep breath, a lot of times it's like we're bombarded with how much is going on in our head and the, and the stress right under the surface. Mm-hmm. but we're layers. And so the stress or the anxiety or the discomfort, I mean, I just remember sitting in meditation camp, move, you're uncomfortable. All you want to do is stop doing that and move and do something else. And so the first initial sensation of discomfort for a lot of these sort of really important healing daily, simple things yeah. are what dissuade people from continuing. But with time, not only does the discomfort you realize it's, it's a thin veil that disintegrates, uh-huh. but that the space that you begin to occupy inside yourself is so vast and rich and beautiful. And it's a refuge. You have a refuge, this golden empire inside of yourself. That what ends up happening is if you go for any period too long without get, doing it, you miss it. It's like a coming home to yourself and that these, in the beginning, it is hard. You know, it's like learning something new. It's, it's it confronting a lot of times, like the BS that is in our life, but to sit through that is actually a thinner veil than we think. And then when we move through that, it is such an enjoyable experience. And that that is what I also want it to be is that this shouldn't be so hard and it is hard. And we do confront a lot of really challenging things, but that the joy and the fun and the freedom and, and how even wild and sexy and cool this can be because you're (laughs) moving past just the first level of like frustration or the discipline or the boredom or that there's so many other things to do it's just there's a lot of resistance around it but that as soon as you shift past that it's it's really a profound thing how much more fun (laughs) not not only how much better you feel but how much more fun it really is the experience of our days yeah so what tool that's completely I'm never going to tell someone what to do I'll, I'll give people starters yeah I mean practice yoga and meditation, practice healthy eating, practice positive thinking. I mean, there are a lot of teachers and there's lots of methods to do this. Grab something and stick with it. It's going to be hard. You're not going to like it, but that's irrelevant almost What how you feel about it in the beginning. Don't base anything on that. It's just a practice you move through and then talk to me in six months after doing it. And then you'll say, okay, there's been a real shift. <laughs> That sounds so amazing and, and such an experience for people to go through and to push through the, the pain barrier, I guess, to enjoy what's at the other side. Really, really profound. And you were speaking about clearing out things. And, and I think a question for you, in, in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to, be it distractions, invitations, and what new realizations and or approaches helped? 
First of all, love that question, Claudia, because it's so important, you know, with this, you know, everyone thinks of wellness, like, oh, just be positive and like shift your energy to things that are positive. And although that's true, and you know, the Tony Robbins and the idea of energy following thought or things will move in the direction that you cannot, that there was like a term coined, uh, you know, spiritual bypassing or something where you, you, you actually are constantly only thinking about positive things and you're actually not addressing things that are challenging to move through them because energy needs to be transformed there. It's stuck stagnant energy that needs to be transformed. And so moving through things that are difficult and that there is a time to focus on no. And what do we not want to carry with us? What is that healing samurai sword cutting through? You know, there has to be that kind of almost fierceness, I think at some moment in our healing process where we say, I've had enough you know, and what, what's great is that you really have to be fed up. It has to get strong enough for someone to say, I've given, I'm fed up. Yeah. Because if it's too gentle, mediocre discomfort, oh, we're fine living with a mediocre life, you know, with these low grade tension headaches, totally used to it at this point. In fact, I wouldn't even recognize myself without them, you know? So really we'd rather hold on to someone we know, even if it sucks, then kind of like be shot out into the unknown, who knows what's going to happen. So so I think that there is this very powerful healing process at one moment that we have to continue coming back to, but is this, what, yeah, what do we say no to? You know, I even have, I think, go more into, I think in the beginning, talking about what, yes, you know, sort of the elimination diet or that idea of like, don't think about all the things that you're cutting out of your diet. Think about the things that you're just going to add in. Because a lot of people, it immediately creates a lot of stress, sadness, longing. They hate it. They don't want to do it. Like, wait, but I love those things. I have to say goodbye to them and they get stuck on all the things that they can't eat. When really it's like, don't put your energy there. Think about all the things that you can. So I also do believe that there is this, let the light flow in and it'll clear out the darkness. But there has to be, and I think I'm very much still working on this. What are areas that are sucking out my energy somehow where I get... And, and it can be, you know, it's reading, becoming sort of, and in my yoga classes, I even sort of invite people to be like, enter into an energetic dialogue with yourself, you know, like learn how to have an energetic dialogue with, you know, understanding, comprehension of what's going on with you. And so yeah. it's like mental, emotional, physical, it's all actually kind of blurred together. So, so bring that into saying, okay, what's happening to my energy? What happened after I spoke, I connected with this or turned on the news or I had this type of conversation or I use these words in this sequence, something happened to my energy. And I actually use those words in that sequence a lot. So what's happening there? And so I think that's always step one, energetic dialogue to realize, oh, wow, look what I'm doing. And oftentimes without quite being so conscious of it. And how can I stop that so it's actually pausing and eliminating and shifting into another direction and so so by choosing your thoughts we get to be have a conscious breath and we can have a conscious mind and it can also be those two things can also be unconscious which is kind of really cool so we're breathing thank god breath can be unconscious we think about it every single time we do it but then (laughs) what happens when your breath does become conscious and then what happens when you, you're thinking all the time, you, your mind, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about this, your mind is just this wild animal inside. Yeah. And that 
actually also, but you can, we have the capacity to stop and choose our thoughts. And how one thought, I always love this one, you know, more than even food you put in your body, one single thought has the capacity to change the chemistry in your body so quickly and so drastically. Like it's a chemical cascade that reaches wow. all your organs, all your soft tissue, all your... So choose your thoughts and feel really empowered to do that. And when you're choosing a thought, you're saying no to another one. There, there's a process of interrupting that we have to get really good at. So our natural tendencies are tend to be ones that are not good for us. Then with our evolution as human beings, then we get higher quality thoughts, little by little. But at first you have to say, you have to pause and you have to interrupt and you're literally, and it, and it takes time where you stop and you say no, and you have to change your mind. And then it becomes easier to the point where, you know, you can, that little neural pathway, I guess, dissolves or something. It doesn't, but that then you are now have a new mental construct with new chemicals that are being released in your body and a new outlook on your life. I mean, it's actually quite profound, but it starts with the annoying detail of every day, interrupting and saying no to that feeling. So I think that I recently had a, the building up of the wellness center. I had self-confidence issues that would come up that would be like, oh my gosh, can I be the director of a wellness center? You know, like, you know, I didn't get my medical degree. These doubtful thoughts would come in. And, and I, that's something that I remember to say, take a deep breath. <laughs> You're not trying to be anything other than you are. Just continue this like authentic, just authenticity. So it really yeah. became really uh, sitting in my authenticity and, 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 and loving it and being it from, you know, and emanating it. So I think a lot of it has to do with thoughts because it so easily can misdirect you or and know yourself day. as well yeah exactly yeah yeah what i get from that is learning to say no to the thoughts that take your energy and that drain you and being a aware of it and b then choosing to redirect to a place where you can create and actually be in a positive frame of mind and focus on what's there which i love and one area i find super fascinating and i'm trying to get more familiar with is intuition and letting make creating space to actually let intuition come through. So it's also one topic I'm very interested in as well, but it, it sounds like that through your journey of knowing yourself and inner connection that you've really become good at trusting yourself and as you call it, authenticity as well, which is so incredible. And look, look what <laughs> you're creating. Constant process, but yeah. Changing gears a bit for some rapid fire questions. What has been your most exciting purchase in the last six months? I love specifics. So it could be a brand or model where you uh, can find it and why. One of the most fun experiences of starting this wellness center not only was designing the physical space, which was really, really creative. And, you know, how does one move through a space and how does the space somehow inspire healing, you know, and, and inspire the, what, what we're trying to cultivate inside those walls, you know, so that was really wonderful. And then just as exciting was purchasing the equipment, you know, and the tools that we were going to have in sort of phase one of the wellness center. And this is where I, you know, I was reaching out a lot to 
friends in the wellness world and did a lot of research because I'm really at the end of the day on a tiny little coastal town like you're the center South of the America. latest trends <laughs> and so you know whereas I was living in Manhattan where I did feel very quite confident about knowing the latest trends of all the wellness things I was like a wellness junkie and all the products and all the brands and all I I sort of realized that my shift towards this, like, you know, living in the countryside on the coast and, you know, it was more about the tuition and making the space for all of that, but that I want to have a wellness center that has, you know, because there really are some wonderful gadgets out there. Yeah. (laughs) And so (laughs) I'm a fan of um, them. Yes. And I would say that two of the most exciting things that I purchased were a infrared sauna. And I did so much research because I just had to, you know, I like all of the different brands that are making infrared saunas, all the, you know, customer reviews and learning about it. Cause I even honestly don't even have that much experience in them because I've been in Uruguay, I remember. So it's, it's a fun, it was actually kind of a funny it. thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Steam rooms and saunas. I mean, even living in New York, the bathhouses and stuff I would use all the time and I loved and I would do them, but infrared was really kind of more you know on the later end of the spectrum so i ended up using clear light the company clear light infrared clear light. Uh-huh. Yeah, if so just if not clear c-l-e-a-r mm-hmm. yeah clear light i think it's uh, all one word which we have been so thrilled with it's just amazing it's like this beautiful cedar interior and it has beautiful like speakers and there's even like chromotherapy so you have like different lights that are like coming on you and then the infrared panels are really good and can you explain for people who might might not know that the benefit of infrared light like why an infrared sauna what is it for yeah so infrared light rays penetrate much deeper into the physical body than light rays and so the penetration in through the muscle through the skin and through and I can't remember how many millimeters it is but it's quite a lot deeper into the body and the infrared rays are extremely healing they're they it's like rapid cellular repair when it's on the body and so uh-huh. having infrared direct infrared light on the skin is incredibly healing it, it just immune system is you know wow even down to like physical muscular issues but it's deep immune health along with sweating, you know, what, what sweating does, sweat therapy essentially is just eliminating a tremendous amount of toxins and waste yeah. that the body produces. And the skin's so your biggest really, organ, right? And the skin's your biggest organ. And yeah. so it's like taking a shower from the inside out, you know, and really eliminating and, and letting go. And so it's that double, it's really double. It's, it's sweating, but sweating with infrared rays, which also what it does is that it heats the body more than the air. So in a regular sauna, it heats the air. There are, you know, regular heaters that heat the air so much so that then the body's, but but actually the body never reaches the temperature to sweat as deeply as it can with infrared. And it also doesn't create such hot air that it's really uncomfortable to be in. It even burns your nose. Burns the nose, yeah. So so infrared is a much, it's a much nicer quality, it's a nice quality, nicer quality heat in the sense you can really tell the difference in the heat. And we actually have a regular sauna as well. We have a regular dry sauna and we Uh have the infrared sauna, which we have in one of our treatment rooms, along with the soaking tub, which we like to do. So you have sort of a private room because we really recommend 
being, you know, fully nude in the in, uh-huh. infrared sauna to get like the most impact of the infrared rays. And so we'll align it, we will put like uh, healing flowers and herbs in a soaking tub. So you can have sort of a space oh, wow. to just be with yourself to soak with lots of salts we'll put in perhaps, or depending on what someone's wanting, you know, and then do the infrared in the same room. And, and also moving on to the question, my second favorite thing that I purchased was a biomat because ah. it's infrared. It's infrared rays, but it's through amethyst crystals. So it keeps wow. the amethyst crystals and it's a mat. And it's kind of like all of the fervor in the wellness world from what I learned and now was have been able to experience. What's wonderful about it is this is comfortable mat that rolls up and, and along the mat inside there are these amethyst crystals. You hook up the biomat in so you plug it into the wall. Electricity. And, uh-huh. Yeah. And the electricity activates the infrared heating Uh up the amethyst crystals and you lie on it. The other thing that the infrared rays does and the biomat being so close up to your body is that your electromagnetic radiation, like field is completely cleaned, you know? And so we have so much, we're on cell phones. I mean, I cell phones, Wi-Fi, cell towers, and that, you know, that we really have a lot we're holding on. There's almost like the cleansing has to happen on the electromagnetic level as well. Uh-huh. And so, and then you don't even realize why you're feeling so much lighter or so much wow. more easeful and that there's a lot of, of that that's, that's being cleaned out as well. And so the biomat, what's nice about it, it's also like a warming pad. It, so it's it not hot. It's just up. warm. It's comfortable. Yeah. You have a little temperature regulator. Um, uh-huh. So if you actually do want it to be hot, you can, and they have them also for office chairs like in the shape of office chairs Uh and they have them to put over your mattress. And so you can literally be sleeping, which I think the thing about it being plugged in always made me a little straight, feel strange about it, but people do because you have that all night long, that hyper healing energy that comes from the biomat and it's super relaxing. And so sometimes we'll even do like a healing session, a hands-on healing session of, you know, some sort of massage or something over the biomat. So you get, wow. oh my gosh, like double, triple layers. of <laughs> That sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds really, really wonderful. So two very, very great, uh, great purchases there. Has a failure or a parent failure set you up for later success? And, and do you have a favorite failure of yours? Oh, that's a good one. I, for a long time, really was down on myself for, um, I started to career paths or rather educational paths that I decided to not continue. And although they were very conscious choices at the time, they weren't without their, you know, dose of guilt looking back that I started pre-med to think about doing med school, which luckily really, I think was not more than one or even two semesters and then psychology. And I spent a long time searching in my post yoga class <laughs> a light bulb moment yeah light bulb <laughs> moment where i said okay well now how do i i actually deepened my studies at the time right after college in uruguay in my early 20s and i studied with a healer it was more of a, like apprenticing you know with a healer mm-hmm. and studying with an informal kind of professional training group but we learned i mean it was just like it was like an in-depth and it was almost three years where it was really learning all about 
you know, the basis of Ayurveda and ch- traditional Chinese medicine and okay, body so work and global also techniques. even, yes, global techniques and learning how to, it was very sort of integrating healing methods and sort of the synthesis of a lot of these methods and what are these overlaps and how interesting to see how they're all actually in so many ways saying the same thing, even quantum type theory about, you know, health and the mind and, you know, the planet and us and what, so it was just this in-depth time, but it was not a, anything. It was an apprenticeship, essentially. So I, after about three years of intensively studying, I went back to New York and I said, okay, now I want to formalize this deep passion of mine into a career. And that's when I just started to look around at all of the, you know, in New York, the big universities, the small training programs to see where can I find this synthesis? I want to learn about all of them in one yeah in one course, in one training or one PhD or one, whatever it is. Yeah. And I wasn't fine. I just felt like I wasn't, I, I couldn't find what I was looking for. And so I, you know, I did a very sort of in-depth medical massage training program, which was wonderful. It was like a two-year program and we always working, but I, I felt like, okay, I, I need more, I want more. And so then I started, you know, pre-med at NYU and I just felt like, okay, great, but that's not actually the direction that's, that's taking me too far away from this, but I'm very clear on, on what I want. And then I, I mean, I, I, it's like, then I started psychology, psychology. I thought, okay, psychology, I'll be able to get, but it was, you know, I, I just remember that I would meet graduates of the programs I would in, you know, that were seven, eight years down the line. And they really, it wasn't that the work that they were doing and the wasn't what I was actually looking to do. It really wasn't. It felt like, okay, I could do this, but I would be doing it kind of just for the degree, which is valid. And maybe that's what I should do. But I just felt this fervor of, I already know what excites me and I want to do this. And I think it's powerful and important in the world. And I, but there was nothing. I, I didn't find it at the time, at least something that really integrated different healing methods that I could become an expert at the um, so many areas. modalities into one. Yes. Different areas. And then I studied nutrition, you know, so I feel like there was this feeling of dabbling a little bit that I remember at the time. It's so interesting. I look back and I was like, I think going back to the sort of self-confidence thing or the, the failure where, where at one time I thought, oh, I just, I failed, you know, in these courses because I kept just choosing not to continue them. And now I look back and I go, thank God, <laughs> because I just actually at the end of the day, even though it was coming from sort of an, an, not the total, you know, like enlightened confidence part of myself, I was saying no, actually, to yeah. these things that yeah. were not actually, even though in looking back, you know, with all of the ups and downs of those years, I had a very clear idea even yeah. then. And, and I just kept knowing what was not, what was taking me too far for this way or taking me too far. And, and somehow I was able to stay somehow on some sort of path to be able to get to where I am now, which is creating a physical space that has these things in them. And so I think that there was a lot about that where I saw it perhaps as a failure or this frustration of not finding, you know, this, and I still believe that there should be you know, like a new curriculum, you know, and, and I, and I believe people are creating them. I actually almost started, uh, started public health. I remember as well. And I just remember thinking there really needs to be something, 
you know, educators and needs to come together and create a new curriculum, you know, uh, on training people for what is wellness, because I think it needs to be much more at the forefront of everyone's mind, you know, especially when we look at the impact it can have on our health long-term. And so, you know, I became a health coach and I was working as sort of a health coach or I would, but I just kept feeling like it was like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And I was like this sort of frustration of not finding, you know, that one thing. And it's actually because that one thing was an integration of different things. So I think that, that probably looking back would be the answer to the many, many failures along the path. <laughs> Well, the perceived failures, you can almost say, because exactly. looking back now, and as Steve Jobs so rightly says, it's connecting the dots, you know, in retrospect, it actually makes complete sense. And you probably, you know, you take always something with you and that's all contributed to the person you are now and what you're creating and what you're giving back with the wellness center. So really, really beautiful. For people who want to dig into yoga for longevity and general well-being more, what resources or books would you recommend they start with? Oh, that's a good question. So I always first tell people, you know, to just find something that's convenient, like whether, so this was always more when people would ask, you know, well, where they're here for a visit or a stay and where can I practice in New York or in Buenos Aires or in wherever they live? Who do you recommend? Where can I go? And my response would be go somewhere where you can sustain it over time. So with resources in terms of, you know, books or anything online, I think, it's something that you can click with and that is easy. It has to, it really, there has to be ease in the process of connecting. It can't sort of be a complicated process in the beginning. Yes. I Set think yourself up you for can, success, right? Exactly. And so yeah. I always loved, you know, for example, Yoga Glow is an online platform where they, you sign up and it's something like, I don't know, $10 a month or so. I mean, actually, probably more at this point. I think they started that at something like that. Yeah. But you have access to so many classes. And I love how they separate it. They go heart, mind, and body, uh -huh. right? So you so click similar. and it's just a plethora of classes geared around those. And, and click, you can click and it's there. And there's a 20-minute class. There's even like a five-minute class and a 90-minute class and all different levels and all different types of teachers. And a lot of them are some of the real heavy hitters in yoga that are out there and alive now and boom, they have the really good audio recordings, you know, uh -huh. of these. And so it, it would, ju it's just simple and you can ask yoga glow. There is a yoga glow G L O. There is a payment to it. So, you know, subscription model. Yeah. Have, yeah. Subscription based. One of the highlights in this very challenging, complex and difficult time of COVID is that all a lot of platforms have shifted online. So yes. a lot of things, especially yoga, I think the yoga world maybe was more reticent to move online. I mean, I'm sort of speaking for the whole yoga world, which I think a lot of people <laughs> had online practices before, a lot of virtual studios and so forth, but there was a really big shift of wellness type resources that are now yeah. online. And I think that that was a boom. The wellness industry boomed online during COVID. And I think that we have yet to even see all of the things that have been created and resources that there are. But there are a lot of people who before were only in person are communicating online and that people who say, oh, I don't know like I'm about online. It's, you know, it's a transition. It's shifting out of your comfort zone. But give yourself the time because you can access so directly some of the most powerful teachings that are happening on the planet now. And people are doing it. They're there. They're offering their classes. They're offering their services. 
encouraging a lot of people. I have a lot of sort of older students as well. And sometimes they can just say, you know, you can tell that it's the same mental construct they've been saying, oh no, I don't do things well online or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so let's just pause there for a second, you know, <laughs> rewind. So this is something you believe, it's a belief system about yourself. You're not good at this True. or something. And then, so to just shift and say, you know, just because we, you know, at this point we can be blocking ourselves off from something that's so special and meaningful. And, and, and then the simplicity of it is actually, you know, can be taught and learned of how to access it. So I think that's something exciting to see and that there are more and more resources. I also, my meditation teacher, who I've been working with, she's a dear friend and meditation teacher who does incredible online things in South America. She's American, she's half American, half Chilean. And she had moved to Chile a few years ago, around the same time I moved to Uruguay and started a meditation school. And she's from a lineage of, you know, her guru in India, and she's devoted her life to service. So she's, and she's just, I mean, a ball of sunshine and love and she's teaching online classes and meditations and spiritual coaching and and she has wonderful also mini you know daily meditations that she does her name is Sri Devi you can also put that there and sure put it in the show notes Sri S-H-R-I S-H-R-E-E okay Sri Devi Devi D-E-V-I so and then another word, Devi, Sri Devi uh-huh. Ma, M-A-A. So three words, Sri uh-huh. Devi Ma. And she has Vida Alineada is her business, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we've had her do retreats at the shack last year on our opening. She was there. We did oh, incredible. We're actually planning another one. And she can do bilingual retreats. And she's so much of like these powerful sort of energy, meditation, healing, you know, affirmations or changing the way that we're thinking and stuff. A lot of that is so much from the support of Sri Devi of, you know, the work that I've been doing with her and the work that she's doing. And it's really incredible to witness everything she's doing. She has a lot of resources as well online. So yeah, those are the two right now that could pop into mind. Yoga Glow, Sri Devi's online platform, which she can on Instagram. And, and I know there are so many more, but... <laughs> Those are two really good places to start. And where can people, and of course, I'll also put this in the show notes, but where can people learn more about what you're up to and what you'd like to share with people, what you're doing with the wellness retreats? Where's the best place to find you? I would say to follow us on Instagram, we're always updating with our programming and things that are are happening. It's the Shack Yoga altogether. Shack being S-H-A-C-K, the Uh Shack Yoga. And the website as well, we is uh, www.theshackyoga.com. You can find us there for our online. So we're going to be launching online practices as well mm-hmm. as the retreats and intensive courses that we'll be doing for the next year. Oh, excellent. So people can find out about that and sign up. That sounds really great. As a closing comment, and this has been really wonderful conversation touching on so many inspiring and amazing parts. Do you have a final ask or recommendation or next step suggestion, whatever it might be for my audience, any parting thoughts or or message? I think something that has been sort of so prevalent to this conversation and also others we've had together, as well as sort of a continuing theme as well in my journey is that 
adverse or challenging or traumatic or difficult experiences can end up being our best friends. I mean, they can end up being the most profound and important experiences that we have. And that I think almost as, as an advice to give a friend or to give a class that I'm teaching or to the audience listening is to not shy away, you know, is to greet adverse moments front on, full on, invite them in, sit with these difficult things, sit in your discomfort because the process of transforming or which happens after we first invited in <laughs> of transforming challenge that we feel in our life is what ends up deepening the purpose of our journey and that we begin to cultivate so much of who we are why we're here what this self-knowledge it happens through the process of moving through these challenging or difficult things that can happen in our life so to not avoid it and to greet it and, and meet it and almost love it, invite it in, sit with it, because they will be your pillars. They will be those moments. And they are what will allow you to evolve essentially as a human being. And so I, I, I just, you know, I, I try to even remind my young girls and myself and something challenging is happening is this is, this can be the, this can be an amazing moment. Just Right now, it's going to feel so hard and to just bring it in, let it in, let the tidal waves come in and whatever it has to offer. And that moving through this moment will end up providing so much meaning to your life, essentially. So I think those might be my parting words. <laughs> Isabella, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful and inspiring for for myself and for listeners on their journey to longevity and, and lifestyle. So thank you so much for joining the podcast. It was real pleasure speaking with you. Claudia, it's so inspiring to see what you're doing, that so many people can reach these conversations, such important human conversations about this, such an important subject. And I just love what you're doing and so excited to see more. And thank you so much for having me as a part of it. Hi everyone, this is Claudia again. Before you take off, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you learned as many valuable insights on living better for longevity as I did. I'd love you to join our longevity tribe so we can learn and grow together, as well as hear your feedback. So please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to let me know what you thought. Thanks so much and take care. Oh, 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 oh,